Um, good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 2. I have a Christmas story for you guys today um, about the three wise men. And so um, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 2, I want to share with you guys the, the story of the three wise men and of the birth that took place around Jesus. And it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, do me a favor and, and just make a little note there on verse number one, because at the middle of the sermon, I want to highlight that. Um, it says after, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And so just know the time of where we are is, is after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? According to verse one. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the, in the days of Herod king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, now quoting from the book of Micah, Matthew tells us, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, okay, verse 11 says they came into where? A house. So just, just make note of that, underline that. We're going to talk about that. They came into the house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise. I love this biblical word. I always highlight it when it comes up. Arise. You find it all through scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And so here we have the, the angel of the Lord shows up and, and his first word to Joseph is arise. And that's, that's a call for you and I in our Christian walk. Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. So in the Christmas story, there are three types of um, folks that we see. And, and I think the same three types of folks that exist today. The first group of people were the, the people that were indifferent. And this happens to be the, the religious leaders of, of Jesus' day. The second group of people are the people that um, hate Jesus. And, and this is Herod, and, and, and he represents that animosity that exists today towards Jesus and the gospel. And the, the third group of people we'll see in this message is um, the worshipers of Jesus, which were represented by the three wise men in our story, and, and hopefully by you and I. Now, as we, we go through that, where do we find ourselves? Where do you find yourself in those three groups of people that existed at the time of Jesus' birth and, and that exist um, in our day? Are we indifferent? And, and, and like the religious folks, we, we just don't care enough 
And, and, and we hear the story of Jesus and, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and yet it really has no impact on our life, and we're not against, and we have people that are Christians in our family, and it's good for them, or they need it, but, you know, for me, it's, it's just, you know, irrelevant, and, and I'm happy if you like it or don't like it, and, and, and is that the place where we find ourselves where we're indifferent? And the sad thing is, for, for this story, the, the folks in Israel that were the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they didn't bother to walk the five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to find out what was going on. They were indifferent, and they were supposed to be the ones who were leading the people to know God and to worship God, and they couldn't be bothered to walk five miles to, to Bethlehem. I was talking to Luke about this message yesterday, my oldest son, and, and Luke asked me a pretty good question that he said, Dad, why, why didn't they go? That they just didn't care? They didn't know that Jesus was going to be born there? And, um, you know, I don't know. I gave him kind of a, a, a lame answer in the car yesterday, and I told Lydia, you know, about the question, and I, and I asked her, you know, and I thought, is there a better reason? What is the reason? Because I wanted to apply the reason that the religious folks didn't go down to, to see what was going to happen and what was prophesied in Bethlehem to the religious folks of our day. And, and, and the reality is, you know, he asked me, he said, did they just not know? Well, they knew exactly what was going on because when the wise men came, they came to Jerusalem. I'm sorry. Yeah, they came to Jerusalem, to Herod's palace, where you naturally would go if you came from a far country to, to find the king of the Jews that was to be born. You would have went to the palace in Jerusalem. And in Herod, in order to figure it out and answer the question for the wise men, it says in verse 2 or 3 that he, he brought the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees in to answer the question. And the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones who quote in verse 6 and 7 um, the prophecy from Micah that Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they knew. And yet, was it a, was it a um, affront to their power? to their religious system that kept people in bondage and to the religious systems of our day that do exactly the same when we have a religion and we have a, um, a, an ideology that we relate to God based on service and we relate to God based on what we do, do, do instead of what God has already done, done, done. But nonetheless, heartbreakingly enough, the religious folks did not make the five-mile walk to go and find out where and what was going on with Jesus. They were indifferent. And then the second group, we see Herod in, in verse 7, and it says that, um, you know, Herod, as you know, was called Herod the Great. Now, Herod wasn't great because he was a great person. Herod was a, was a tyrant. Herod, Herod was um, traditionally the, uh, that he was um, a short, short man, literally like four foot, six inches tall. And he had the, all of the complexes that, that go along with short man disease. And he, um, he was very um, paranoid of everybody in his life that they were out to get him. Her, Herod was called the great because he was a great builder. And some of the things that Herod built are there to this day, which proves that Herod was a great builder. But because of his insecurities and because of his, his, his just freakiness or whatever it was, that he, he murdered his own wives. He murdered his favorite wife. He murdered three of his sons. They said of King Herod the Great that it was safer to be one of his dogs than it was to be one of his children. Because he was murdering his own children and had lost his mind. And so he hears that, that, that this king of the Jews is to be born according to prophecy. Now, Herod himself, coincidentally, was 
um, partially Jewish. He was one of the last descendants of Esau from that tribe that, that would have made him a half Jew. And, and so he knew this prophecy, but he calls the wise men in and he hates the gospel and he hates this Jesus. And he's a madman and he doesn't want anything that's going to affect his power or his ability to, to rule. And so he tells the wise men, go and find the child and come back and bring word to me where he is so that I may go and worship him. Is that what he wanted to do? Weird kind of worship, right? Herod was, was well on his way to um, murdering and would have murdered the baby had the wise men come back. And when he realizes that the wise men went a different way, as you guys know the story of Jesus, and as we read, the angel shows up to Joseph and tells Joseph to flee to Jerusalem because what Herod ends up doing in these next days and weeks and months and years is at some point he makes a decree to kill all the babies two years and younger. Can you imagine the, the practical application of Herod's um, rule with the soldiers? What if you're a soldier in the Roman army? And orders come down from the general that you're to go to Bethlehem and you're to kill little babies. Put them on the end of your spear at two years young, old and younger. And Herod was a madman. This same um, type of thing, we see it in the Bible. You remember Moses? When Moses was a child, the Pharaoh did the same thing. And the, the Hebrew nation was growing too much. And so he told them there was a law that all the young Hebrew boys were to be thrown into the Nile River. And Moses was yet saved out. But Herod, again, who represents in, in our life and in your life, there is just an out and out hatred toward God. And, and it's becoming um, worse and worse. It waxes hotter and hotter in the world that we live in today. Um, you know, we have a thing today called the um, FF Freedom from Religion Foundation, FFRC. Freedom from religion so that you don't have to be exposed to any kind of religion. And instead of the Constitution, which, um, you know, is supposed to be in interpreted as the freedom of religion, these folks have, have um, tried to change it to the freedom from religion. I was, I was asked to, to give an invocation at the town of Yucca Valley to open the town council meeting. And I prayed in the name of Jesus at the end. I was told not to in the beginning. And I went with, with good intentions. I wasn't trying to be rebellious and not trying to prove a point that I just did it anyways. I, I was going to say, um, you know, something that was appropriate and, and, and didn't compromise my faith. And because I pray in the name of Jesus, every prayer, I started praying and, and I just pray from the heart. I don't write my prayers. And at the end of it, just by habit, I said, in the name of Jesus, amen. And this guy was waiting for me outside. And he was mad. He was red-faced, mad, spitting, and how dare you break the law, and blah, blah, blah. And he was so mad. He was a teacher at Yucca Valley High School, science teacher at Yucca Valley High School. And he was so angry that, that, that I would dare insult people and pray in the name of Jesus in a public place. And he was a part of this FFRC. And they went on and they sued our church. They sued Joshua Springs. We had to get Jay Sekulow involved and... So a little drama I was involved in, and luckily the whole thing was just more a scare tactic on their part than, than anything that came to it. But, but a real experience with, with, with the world that just hates Jesus. Our liberal media hates God. Our liberal media doesn't want anything to do with God. Nike. You guys know uh, Steph Curry. He's one of the most popular, uh, famous basketball players in the NBA. And, and Steph Curry's shoe product is a billion-dollar product. And Nike turned down a billion dollars 
because Steph Curry wanted to put Philippians 4.13 on his shoes. And Nike said, we won't print Bible scriptures on, on those shoes. And Steph Curry said, then I'll sign with Adidas. <laughs> and that's what he did. Under Armour, I'm sorry, who's not even really a big name shoe company. And he took a lesser deal for a lot less money so that he could put Philippians 4.13 on his shoe. But because they, the hatred of Christianity, um, they, Nike wouldn't have anything to do with it. And then we come to this third group of people. And this is the group that we want to be in. These are the worshipers of God. And, and these three wise men, they traveled from afar, three kings. Anybody want to sing the song? We should have done the song this morning. We three kings. No. Um, traverse so far. You know, you know, part of this message that I want to share with you guys today is it's a little bit heartfelt, I think, hopefully, as we get into it a little bit. And I share with you a little bit about what Mary and Joseph went through. And I was a little bit worried that you guys wouldn't be able to take me seriously in this sweater. <laughs> I, I, I got my tie on underneath if I need to take it off because, you know, if you guys are still snickering at me and laughing at my sweater when I'm trying to like pour my heart out, it's, it's not going to work. So, um, Lydia said that it was kind of me cause the, the penguins were kind of gangsters. So <laughs> I'm kind of gangster. So they kind of fit, you know, he's got his hat on sideways and stuff, but anyways, you guys got to be able to ignore the sweater and take me seriously in this message. But so um, the first question is the, the, the three wise men who came, they, they weren't even Jews. They were Gentiles. And, and how did they even know? Now, again, don't forget the, the, the religious folks of Jesus's day. They, they didn't have regular jobs. They, they served in the temple. They got they got they got a, they got paid through the, the work of the temple. They were basically full-time ministers who were, were supposed to spend their lives studying and teaching the Scripture. And, and, and the word priest is, is a go-between. They're, they're to, to spend time with God, and God is to speak to them. And then they're to go and, and tell the people what God said. And then the, God, uh, the people are supposed to speak to the priests, and the priests are supposed to give that, you know, pray to God for the people. And they're this go-between. And, and it was their life to do it and study the Scriptures and know it, and yet, they, they, they didn't, and, and they weren't in, interested enough to walk five miles to Bethlehem and find out what was going on. And here we have these, pay, not pagan, but we have these non-Jewish um, Gentiles from a far-off country who are going to travel to find the fulfillment of these prophecies. Now, how did they know? Well, one of the ways they, they might have known, if, is you remember, is, is Daniel. You remember Daniel? You remember the story of Daniel in the Bible? So, so the nation of Israel, for 490 years, they did not observe the Sabbath. And 490 times, the God, God forgave them. And after 490 years, God said, I now want my 70 years that you owe me. The 70 years, seven, uh, 490 divided by 7 comes to 70. So they owed God 70 Sabbaths that the land should rest. And so God raised up a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he went in and he conquered Jerusalem and Israel. And he carried the, 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 the nation of Israel back to Babylon captive. Many of them died. Many of them came back to Babylon, modern day Iraq, as prisoners. And the king chose out a few, four um, of the finest young men from Israel that he wanted to train up in the ways of the Babylonian um, upbringing. And one of those men was Daniel. And Daniel spent his entire life um, in Babylon and, and was mightily used of God. 
And, and from there, he wrote the book of Daniel. And we see in chapter 7, one of the things, and many of the prophecies that Daniel wrote, this is one of the prophecies that he wrote in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel said, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man. The Son of Man is one of the, the main titles that, that is used of Jesus in the New Testament, the Son of Man. And so Daniel says, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and that all the people, nations, and languages should serve him. <coughs> his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So, um, and from these writings and from other writings that the, the wise men would have been in Babylon and would have had, that they came and they studied and they, they brought these, um, they, they understood and they came to find the Lord Jesus. You know, one of the things that you, you find about um, God, the longer you walk with God, is that, you know, life is messy, Right? You know, some people, you know, I don't really like the word. I make it derogatory. But the, the reality is, it seems like God likes drama. Like, like if he, let me tell you why. You know, if he, look at how he chose to bring his son into the world. God, God didn't choose one of the fine families in Jerusalem of the upper echelon. God chose a peasant girl who was not married but was betrothed. And betrothal is, a, is, is like our engagement. They weren't living together, but they were, they were bound. And, but the marriage had not yet been consummated. So he chooses this peasant girl in this obscure little place called Nazareth to, to be the one that God would bring and send his son. And so as, um, as God brings and chooses this girl, an angel appears to her. And the, you know, yeah, right. Oh, an angel appeared to me. And so an angel appears to her and says to her, Mary, you will be with child. And she says, how can it be? I've never known a man. And he says, what, what will be conceived in you will be of the Holy Spirit. And the, and the end of that, she says, let it be unto me as you have spoken. And understand that Mary absolutely gave her whole life when she said to that angel and she received that day, that prophecy. And she said, let it be unto me as the Lord has spoken. You know, this is what the angel said to Mary. In chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Somebody say favor with God. Favor. Tell your neighbor you found favor. Why not? Preach it. Now, I, I have a little note here. Listen, you, you read that and, and we think of the person of Mary. We think of the call of God upon this young girl, probably maybe between 14 and 17 years old at the time. And you think, man, if that was me... If, if, if God was that close to my life and if, and, and if God spoke to me and angels appeared to me, man, life would be so grand. I just wish I had something like this happen in my life. And I wish God was, 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 would speak to me and was that close to me. And, and it's a misconception, right? We've been, we've been unpacking this, this same concept in the, in the life of Paul. You would think somebody who was as close to God as the Apostle Paul would, would have life figured out, would have life easy. And what do you see when you study the life of the Apostle Paul? Trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble. You know, you know some people say that the safest place in the world to be is right in the center of God's will. I, it's the best place to be. 
But it's definitely not the safest place to be. In fact, it's probably one of the most dangerous places you can be in your life is right in the center of God's will. Why? Because God likes drama. And I'll prove it. He, everything he does just includes drama. But here's going to be the message by the time we wrap up. If there's drama in your life, you're in good hands. You're not alone. You didn't miss nothing. Look at the folks that God used absolutely the most. Any of you have a call on your life that is equal to Mary? Anybody? I don't. Certainly not. I don't think there's anybody ever in history does. But yet, and again, the point being, you would think if you had a call such as Mary, that life would be easy, that life would be good. So Mary is conceived of the Holy Spirit that day as the angel comes. And and then just to make matters a little more interesting, God tells Mary, I want you to go visit your your cousin Elizabeth. And, and, And so Mary, by herself, young girl, travels 70 miles to where Elizabeth is and spends three months there. And you'll remember the story. Elizabeth was six months pregnant and Mary was just newly pregnant. As she got there and, and the babe leaped in Elizabeth's womb. This was John the Baptist. And, and, and Elizabeth says to Mary that, that, you know, who am I that the Lord would bless me as, as you would come? The Lord would come into my presence. The baby leaped in my womb as, as you walked in. And the Bible says that, that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. John the Baptist being six months old in his mother's womb. And, and Mary spends three months there. And now it's time to go home. And God says, I want you to go home. And Mary shows up after three months back to Nazareth. And guess what? She's pregnant. And she's telling everybody, oh, it's from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. You you know, you know how we know? The Bible tells us that the folks, the Bible tells us in the gospels that the folks in Mary and Joseph's life mocked him and ridiculed him. And they said of Jesus, at least I wasn't born out of fornication. One of the things they, they told Jesus, that Mary went away for three months and, 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 and something happened and she came back pregnant. And Joseph, who knew one thing, he knew he wasn't the father. And, he, and so it says that he had a mind to put her away quietly. His wife shows up pregnant. He knows he's not the dad. He could have her stoned, according to Jewish law. They could have brought her out and Joseph could have said, I'm not the dad. That's not my kid. She's, she's guilty of infidelity and the stonings would have began. And Joseph, but it says Joseph had a mind to put her away quietly. And then the angel of the Lord showed up to Joseph in a dream, remember? And he said to Joseph, he said, Joseph, that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to take her as your bride. And so Joseph takes her as his bride. And now now Mary has to go to the well every day in her town. When we visit Israel, you can go to the well of Mary. It's still there to this day. And draw water from the same well that Mary would have drawn, well, drawn water from in that, that period of three months pregnant to nine months pregnant. And, and, and the snickering and, and the hardship that they would have faced. And, and the ridicule of the folks that just didn't believe the story in a little town. You know what happens in a little town, a little church? People gossip. They talk about each other. And, and if things couldn't get any worse, they did. Because there was a tyrant in government and leadership. And he made a decree that all of Israel is going gonna, is gonna to have to return to the place of their birth so that they could be taxed. Not like we're taxed enough. We have enough taxes we pay already, and yet you're going to have to return to the place of your birth for more taxes to be counted. 
And so Joseph, who has a bride now that's, that's great with child, as the Bible says, he has to put her on a donkey and travel 90 miles to a little, uh, a little town called Bethlehem that they're from in the house of David, where, where, where his wife is going to make this journey. Now, if you've ever traveled with a pregnant woman, what do they want to do? They want to stop all the time. You know, Joseph is on the road and, and his wife's pregnant. And she's on the donkey and he's walking alongside and all the other donkeys are passing him on the, on the, on the donkey freeway. And, you know, Mary's like, eh, Joseph, can we stop one more time, please? He's like, we're never going to get there. There's going to be no room when we get there. Everyone's going to beat us there. We got to keep going. And, and yet Joseph wanting to take care of his wife and Mary. Can you imagine? You guys have had babies, you gals. Can you imagine? You know, the Bible uses this term, not my term. Don't be offended. You were mad, mad at God. He says she was great with child. You know what that's like, right? When it's starting to waddle and all those phases of, of great with child. And she's on a donkey riding 90 miles on a donkey. How many of you guys nine months, 10 months pregnant want to get on a donkey and ride 90 miles? And so I said 10 months because, right, 10 months, that's for technically what it is, 40 weeks. So she, um, so they get there and there's no room for them in the inn. They're late. It's late at night. They're, they're the last ones to arrive and all the caravan that's traveling all over and, and there's no room for them in the inn. And you'd think that there would be somebody to help that God would, you know, provide something for his son, but you know what? He doesn't do it. And in Bethlehem, you can go there today and you can see this, but in Bethlehem, it, it was actually a cave that Jesus was born in. But in the hillsides of Bethlehem, as you stand there, you can see the exact place. And, and in Bethlehem, there's this grass, just grass area where the shepherds would, would bring the sheep to flock. And, and right behind that setting is a mountainside and it has hundreds of caves that were there that the shepherds would use for shelter. The shepherds would use to bring the lambs in when they were giving birth as, as they were watching over the flock there. And so Joseph and Mary, they go to the, the, the cave or the, or the stable, as the Bible calls it, where the, the sheep would have been. Again, unclean, not kept, not real pretty and like swept up with a little grass like your manger scenes. It would have been a real stable where animals would have done their thing and would have, you know, and Joseph would have done his best as a father. And then get this. Her water breaks. Joseph's looking around like, where's the doc? I mean, I, I was nervous holding my babies when they were newborn. Men think about delivering a baby. Any of you guys want to deliver your wife in a stable? And Joseph has to deliver, you know, and again, the Bible doesn't tell us, but there, there's no, no indication that, you know, you see the, the movies and there's all these midwives and all things that come in. Well, the Bible doesn't say any of that. He got there in the middle of the night and they went into a cave, into a stable. And, um, and, and Joseph gives, give, gives birth to this baby and the baby is born. And then in the field, the Bible says that the, the shepherds giving watch of the flock by night. And so Jesus is being born, as you can picture the scene in Bethlehem in the caves along this mountainside with the shepherd and shepherds in front in this area in the grass. Now, the Bible says that a couple things. It says that, that there was, the shepherds were out in the time that, that there, was, there was grass in the field. Now, I, I hate to, to ruin anybody's nativity scene, but I'm going to blow your nativity scene up today. Jesus was not born on December 25th. 
Um, the, we know that, that we don't know when Jesus was born, but we know that it was um, possibly in the springtime, maybe as far as the summertime. Some people say June, um, according to when the grass was, was growing and, and putting the pieces together of what was happening and what would traditionally happen every time of the year. But it definitely wasn't December 25th. You know, is anybody's grass growing on December 25th? When does your grass grow? In the spring and in the summer? I, I personally think Jesus was born on July 27th, but <laughs> that, that's just my own opinion. You know, it could have been June 27th, but I think it was July 27th. And um, so, so I want to I share with you guys the, um, a little bit of the story out of Luke. It says that um, in verse 4 of chapter 2, Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, called Bethlehem, in the house and the lineage of, of David. And then in verse 8, And now there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Somebody say all people. people. So the angels um, appear. You know what the wonderful thing about Jesus is in the whole Jesus um, story again? God chose this peasant girl in an obscure town of Nazareth. And then when it came time to make the announcement of Jesus's birth, he, he didn't go to the, the Harvard grad students and he didn't go to the upper echelon of society and people and important high people. You know, I heard a pastor tell this illustration that has always stuck with me because it, it, it kind of made sense. But, you know, it says that that the angels of the Lord began um, singing and praising in a band setting in heaven, announcing the birth of Jesus. And so there would have been a big curtain in heaven as the, as the band of angels, you know, thousands of them with all the instruments and all the hoopla of, of, of this singing here. And, and they're getting ready to, to announce to the world the birth of Jesus. And they're so excited and they're like rock star status and they can't wait to, you know, for, for, for God to open the heavens and, and the whole world just to see them as they announce the birth of Jesus. And the curtain flies open and they go, few shepherds on the side of a hill. That's it. That's what we get. And, and, the, and the band fires up and, and the shepherds were there. And so this, this just nugget that, that, that God gives to, to Mary and Joseph. And it says, it goes on and it says um, in verse 17, it says when they had seen, or sorry, let's go to 15. So it was when the angels had gone away. So the angels came in verse 14, they sang glory to God in the highest on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. And so the the shepherds who are uh, ordinary, everyday, hardworking people like you and I, that God chose to announce the birth of his son to, what is their decision to do? Are they indifferent? Are they angry? No, they're worshipers. And they say, let us go and let us see And when they had seen him, they made widely known the sayings which was told them concerning this child. And it says in verse 19 that Mary pondered these things in her heart. So the shepherds come and Mary is there and she's in the shepherd. She's in the manger and 
She has little baby Jesus in her arms and the shepherds come and, you know, I've seen this and done in movies and it's sometimes done well. And just the, the, the excitement and the, the kind of the awe of Mary still trying to figure this whole thing out, this whole adventure of life that she's on as she has this newborn baby. And it's been difficult up to this point. And, and the angels come and, and the angels, I'm sorry, the shepherds come and tell her we saw angels. And, and, and they worshiped Jesus and they, they, they told her of all the things that they experienced. And it says that Mary pondered it in her heart. And then as life is, life would have went on. Shepherds would have left and now the everyday grind of life would have begun in Mary's life just like it does in your life and my life. And every day, you know, Joseph wanting to be a provider, he was a carpenter. Joseph would have had to go and find some work in this new place. And so Joseph would have went and tried to find some work. And so every day Joseph would get up early and he'd go to work and he'd work hard. And every day Mary, as she was, getting up every two hours in the night to feed and to change diapers. And she'd wake up in the morning as the sun came up exhausted and time to cook meals and, and feed and, 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 and change more diapers and Joseph struggling to go to work every day and, and life and, and Mary pondering things in her heart and trying to ask themselves, how is this all going to work? How are we all going to figure this out? There was no palace. There was no kingdom. There was no glory. There was, you know, this, this angel that had appeared and, and this, this ride to Bethlehem, this baby born in a manger with no room for them in the end. And now everyday life sets in and it's hard. You know, Christmas time can be sad, right? Sometimes our, our, our greatest joys can also be our, our, our greatest struggles and, and hardships. Maybe there's been a divorce in our family and, and there's, there's broken families and lives that, that create hardship at, at Christmas. Maybe there's, there's, there's death and, and disease and different things that, that are real life things that you face and that I face that are, you know, that come with Christmas. But there is an answer and there is an answer in the scriptures and the answer for all these folks is for those that were worshipers of Jesus. And everywhere we see, it's those that worshiped Jesus. And, and, and I just want to encourage you in the idea that, that even the mother of Jesus went through things that you go through. And that God was there with her and faithful all the way, all the way. Because one day things change. And Mary was there. And, you know, I believe that the baby would have been because Herod tried to kill all the babies two years old and younger. And it says, as I asked you guys to highlight, that it says after Jesus was born. And it says in verse 13 that they were in, a, I'm sorry, um, yeah, that they were in a house in verse 11, back in Matthew. And so when the wise men come, you know, we have our nativity scenes. Do we have one here? We don't, right? How does your nativity scene work at home? You have the shepherds on one side and baby Jesus in the middle and the wise men on the other side and little baby Jesus in the manger. Well, that's not what the Bible says. So, so really, when you get home, take the little wise men in your, in your manger scene and walk them to the other side of the living room and put them down. And that's biblical because actually they, they didn't come to the manger. Mary and Joseph were already in a house when they showed up. And so they came to the house and they followed this star. And, and this star of Bethlehem is is very interesting anomaly in the Bible. Because, because the Bible says that God, um, that the firmament shows the glory of God. The firmament is God's handiwork, the stars, the universe. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, that when God created the stars and the moon and the sun, that they were to be a sign. A sign is, is, is of prophecy. There would be to be a sign of things to come. And, and that in the stars, that God orchestrated them perfectly. 
And what do they tell us? They tell us that there is a God and there's no evolution. There's a creator and there's a perfect design. Today, with new technology, we understand that the universe works like a perfect precision clock. I saw this morning, I opened up my Facebook feed this morning. I don't know why at four in the morning I want to look at Facebook, but, um, but I, I started my morning this morning and I opened up Facebook and, um, and I saw the calendar of all the events um, that are going to happen in 2018. January 1st is, is the, the full moon and January 30th is the first supermoon and, and there's a, a lunar eclipse and a partial solar eclipse and there's meteor showers. And we know exactly what day in 2018 exactly all of this stuff is going to happen because you can predict it and it works like a perfect clock. And with our technology, we can see exactly what the sky is going to be look like and know exactly what it's going to be doing far into the future. And it works in reverse. We can take the, the time clock and we can rewind it back. And so we've done that. And there's a movie called Star of Bethlehem. And in this movie, he takes the clock back and he's looking and he studies the Bible and he's looking for this anomaly because the Bible says that the wise men say that it was like the star stood still still and went backwards. Well, stars don't do that. And it was the brightest star in the sky. And so they go back and they find exactly what, what possibly could be it. And, and, and it's two. Great planets, not stars, Venus, I have them written down, Jupiter and Venus, so I don't mess it up. And, and, and there's a thing that stars do, it's called retrograde motion. And from our view, it actually looks, a star will be moving in orbit and it'll kind of back up and go forward in, in retrograde motion. And as these two stars or these two planets line up together, they would have been the brightest star and that is um, very possibly what the wise men saw and the star of Bethlehem that they would have followed in this time. And you can rewind the clock and you can see this anomaly happening at the exact time. You want to know what day it happens? That, 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 that as we rewind the clock, you can go watch the movie Star of Bethlehem. He's the scientist that gives you the science. I'm just the pastor that doesn't know it. But, um, but what's interesting December 25th, December 25th is the day that the wise men showed up and followed the star. So we can redeem this December 25th for your legalistic friends who say, oh, that's a pagan holiday. And that's a very, 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 you just say, well, that's, that's the day the wise men showed up. It's not the day Jesus was born, but we'll celebrate anyways. And we, we can love December 25th because we're going to celebrate the day that our Lord and Savior was born. But it was on that day, December 25th, that the wise men show up at the house. And now we go back to Mary, who, like every day, is going through the grind of life until one day something different happens. And there's a knock on the door. And Mary goes to the door, maybe a little nervous and timid, and opens the door. And three kings are standing at her door, and they're, they're, they have gifts in their hands, and they want to bring gifts. And I'm sure Mary, because the Bible tells us she was super sweet and, and gentle, that after the shock, she would have invited him in. And the three wise men came in and they presented gifts to the young baby Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now the gold is a gift for a king. And we know that Jesus is the great king. Revelation tells us that, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In, in the gospels, it says that Jerusalem is the city of the, anybody know? The great king. I love that description of Jesus and Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of the great king, that Jesus is a great king. 
And then they brought frankincense. And frankincense is a gift for a priest. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus is our great high priest. And and that he can sympathize with you. You know, we lose the term priest in, in, I think, culturally today. You could say Jesus is your great high pastor. If it's just a term that, that relates a shepherd and, and a God that, that, that knows and that, that, that's there for you. And Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is both king and priest under the order of Melchizedek. And so Jesus being the great high priest, the wise men bring him gold and frankincense because they would have understood these two truths about this baby. That he was going to be the great king and the great high priest. And then the last gift is they bring is myrrh. And this one's a little bit interesting. Because myrrh is a gift that is given for embalmment and for people who are dead. And so they bring him myrrh that, that, that is, is, is symbolic of the death that Jesus would face on the cross. And that he would die and he would raise again the third day for your sins and for my sins. And that this great king one day would give his life for you and I. And so no doubt that that nugget for Mary and, and for you and I, as life gets hard and as we're facing those things, it's, it's the answer is just being a worshiper of Jesus, little baby Jesus, as she would have held him in her arms that day and, and, and pondered these things in her heart. Mary, did you know? Did you know the little baby you were holding would someday? You know, the Bible says that to Mary, that God told her that a, a sword will piece, even pierce your own heart. Because there would come a day where Mary would be at the foot of the cross and see Jesus hanging on a cross and a, and a sword would pierce her own soul. And I don't care what age your kids are. And for Mary, that, that day would come. And, 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 and just that the story got all great, right? Because now, as, as, as Joseph was going to work every day and trying to provide in this little house that he had, had provided because they were in a house and working and Mary's trying to do life. And, you know, the Bible says Mary had other kids. So Joseph and Mary had other children and who knows at what point she started having more kids and life began. But now she has gold and frankincense and myrrh and they have some things to, to help them and to help raise this baby and start this family. And, and life's good, right? Gosh, can we ever get a break? Sometimes you feel right. And what happens? An angel comes to Joseph in a dream and an angel says, hey, Joseph, take the child, the young child, and his mother. Get back on that donkey. But this time you got to go to Egypt. Egypt? Why in the world would I go to Egypt? Because Herod's going to kill the babies and, 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 and God's going to, you know, Jesus was a refugee in Egypt. And so Herod, I'm sorry, Joseph and Mary, they, they have to trust the Lord and in their life. And you and I, we have to trust, our, trust the Lord as God leads and guides us. And for the things of your life that, that, that just require God's trust. And so Mary and Joseph have to go to Egypt and they go down to Egypt and then they spend some time there. And then an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph another time. And he says to Joseph that, that now it's safe. Herod has died and, and it's okay to, to take the child back home. And so Joseph is, is, is able to take his wife and his family back home. And somewhere along the pages, Joseph disappears from the narrative. When Jesus is dying on a cross and when Jesus is old in his ministry, we see that Mary is still there. And Mary's there at the foot of the cross. Mary's there at the wedding in John chapter 2. But, but nowhere else after this narrative do we find Joseph in the Bible. And so 
it's believed, it's, it's very possible that it's not by mistake that somewhere along the lines, Joseph died and Mary continued to raise her family as a single mom. And yet, being a worshiper of Jesus secured all our troubles. Doesn't mean life's perfect. Doesn't mean that Christmas does not have its own trials and its own struggles. But it does mean there's joy in the Lord as we worship Jesus. Amen? Amen, amen. amen. I want to give you guys an opportunity this morning to just get your life. Let's have the worship team come up and close us in a song. And um, would love to give each one of you guys an opportunity to, to get your life right with Jesus. And maybe, maybe in your life and um, you're, you're sad. Maybe in your life something you're going through is difficult or hard. But I want to encourage you that the answers are in being a worshiper of Jesus. So if you came today with, with a heavy heart or you came today and you're just not really sure that you're a Christian and you want to get right, then I, I'd, like, I'd like to pray for you. Let's stand together. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads if we would. And I just want to pray for you. And I want to tell you something about as I pray that, um, you know, the, the, the real magic in, in life of being a Christ follower is, is, is not the words that we pray, but it's the condition of our heart. And so it's kind of our, our custom here is just give you an opportunity just to do one simple thing. Say yes to Jesus in your life. Mary said to Jesus, Mary said to God through the angel, she said, let it be unto me as you have spoken. Let it be unto me your will, God. And Mary that day would have given her entire life in the service of God up until the point that her son at 33 years old was murdered on a cross. And all the trials and all the difficulties and all the things that Mary would have faced. But she said yes to Jesus in her life. She said yes to God. It's a good life and it's a much, much, much better eternity, I promise. And so if you want to say yes to Jesus today for whatever's going on in your life, I just want to give you that opportunity as I pray. You in your heart, you say yes to Jesus. If you want it salvation, if you want to ask Jesus in your life to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sins, to make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because Jesus not only was born in that manger, but the reality of life is that Jesus died and rose again. And you really have to let that reality sink in. If Jesus rose again from the grave, it has grave implications upon your life today. And so say yes to Jesus. And if you want to say yes to Jesus and receive and believe that he was born and died on a cross and rose again the third day, and you want to ask him in your heart, just say yes to Jesus in your heart as we pray. God knows. God knows your heart. He knows the place in life that you're in. I'd encourage you in, in, in reading the word of God for yourself. Get a Bible and begin just to read the word in your quiet time. Spend some time every day just reading, simply reading the word of God and see that your life don't change. Jesus, I come before you and I thank you, Father, so much for um, this story of, of the God of drama who, Lord, could have done things so simply, but yet in Mary and Joseph's life, we see difficulty. God, it encourages us here today on this side of the cross that, that, that we're not blowing it, we're not doing something wrong, we're not missing Christianity because we have hardship. Lord, the very people that you use the most had hardship. And, and Lord, you orchestrated it. And you orchestrated it so that they would have to trust you. That they would have to put feet to their faith. And, and God, yet even as they trusted you you, you, you led them every step of the way. You protected them. You kept them out of harm's way when Herod killed the babies. 
You provided for them supernaturally when men traveled from a far country to bring them money, to bring them gold, to bring them frankincense, to bring them myrrh, the things that they needed for their trip to Egypt. And God, you provide for our lives. And so Lord, regardless where we are now and what we're going through, help us to trust in you. And no matter when, no matter why, no matter where, no matter how, that I will trust in Jesus. God, come into our hearts, be our Lord. We forgive us of our sins. We believe in Jesus. We say yes to you right now in our hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.